Welcome to this Sunday's message from the King's Church Mid-Sussex. Fantastic. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, it's just so good to hear that report, isn't it, from Edward? And um, I just want to add in my thanks. You know, your generosity in the summer uh, made a life-changing difference. Actually, probably even a life-saving difference to communities in Kenya. So amazing, guys. Thank you so much. And um, it's great to welcome you again to our live service this morning. I'm going to be continuing um, our series that we began last week, First Love, where we are looking at how we can keep our love and our passion and a zeal for God strong. And if you were um, able to be with us last Sunday, you'd have heard me introduce that series, talking about the fact that Remembering our first love is to remember that we are first loved. Oh, how amazing it is that all of us can know somehow the heights and lengths and breadth and depth of the love of God. And I hope last week encouraged you, and I pray that today would encourage you, whether you've been a follower of Jesus for 50 years or for five minutes, I pray that this message may again remind you of God's incredible love for you. Before um, we read the Bible, let me just ask you a quick question. Can any of you remember your school reports? Um, I I don't know if you want to remember. Maybe some of you have been them or burnt them. I'm not sure. But um, can you remember your first reports? I actually found some of my school reports this week. I thought it might be interesting to read what they said. This is from 1989 when I was in year nine at Chaley School. And um, there seems to be a pattern with my school reports. The early years say that I was quiet and polite and conscientious. And as I seem to get older, it seems to say that I kind of lack concentration more and more. This is my French report from year nine. James worked harder earlier on. In recent weeks, he has slackened his effort and adopted a rather casual attitude. I can't believe that. I'm very fluent in French. I can't believe they'd say such a rude thing. Um, this is actually my Howard C. Sixth Form College report. So um, this was really interesting reading. Um, this is A-level art, which I studied. Uh, Jim is talented. I've moved from James to Jim by then. But he needs to concentrate his efforts and, quite frankly, work harder. So that was A-level art at college. And I found a little bonus treat in my college report. Um, I forgot all about this. I did special interest subjects. I did ballroom dancing. And I've got a report for that. I got a seven out of nine. Seven! And um, it says, Jim has a good sense of rhythm and open-mindedness. So there's something you did not know about me. I can absolutely smash the foxtrot. A school report's an interesting thing. I I read, apparently, that Gary Lineker's school report said this that he must devote less of his time to sport if he wants to be a success. You can't make a living out of football. Apparently, that was Gary Lineker's school report. I think he's done all right out of football, actually. As I reviewed my school reports, I noticed a pattern emerging. Um, There were some things that my teacher encouraged me for. said, well done, this is good. And there were other things that they were concerned about that they said I needed to change or do differently. And today we are going to be reading from the Bible, from the last book of the Bible actually, Um, it's called Revelation, where we read of seven letters written to seven different churches, and the author of these letters was Jesus. And Jesus was feeding back to these churches what he saw that was good and he could commend them for, but what he was concerned about, what he felt they needed to do differently, or what they needed to change 
And these letters in the Bible exist for all churches, everywhere, through all of history, to know what it is that Jesus is looking for in his church. What's he's longing for? What does he commend the church for? And these churches were just ordinary churches. They were just like us, really, filled with ordinary people trying to work out what it meant to follow Jesus together, making mistakes. And so the stuff in here that we can learn about what it means to be Jesus' church. We're going to read um, from Revelation chapter 2. If you've got a Bible there at home, you may want to follow this. It's a letter Jesus wrote to a church in a place called Ephesus. Ephesus was a very prominent um, city in the kind of Roman province of Asia. Um, there's a very strong church established there. We read about that in the book of Acts in the Bible. And also, we know the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to them that we read about in the New Testament. What would Jesus say to this, to this church now? Well, let's um, read Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus writes, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Let's just think about these words for a moment. Jesus commends this church for many things. He says, church guys, I, I know your hard work. I, I know how you've kept going and how you've persevered through hard times. Well done. I, I know that you've worked hard for my name's sake. That's, that's great. I, I know that you haven't put up with false and dangerous teaching. You've kind of exposed that and, and made sure the church didn't hear that stuff. That, that's brilliant. Many of these things are gr good things. It's good to be clear on what the Bible teaches it's good to persevere through trial and difficulty. It's, it's good to work hard for Jesus' sake. These things are good. If you are reading this, you'll be thinking, wow, what a commendation for this church. What a great church. They work hard. They have right doctrine. They persevere. They keep going. To be honest with you, if I'd heard a kind of commendation like this for our church, I'd be thinking, well, that's great. These are good things. We should celebrate some of these things. You'll be thinking, wow, what a good report. But then Jesus says this. There's one thing he's concerned about. Actually, it's more than concerned, really. He says this. I hold this against you, Jesus says. You've forsaken the love you had at first. He's not kind of ambivalent here, Jesus. He's not a little bit irritated. He's like, I hold this against you. Uh, Jesus is serious. This is like a deal breaker for him. Like, Jesus is not half-hearted about his church. And he's not half-hearted about our church. He loves his church. He, he died for the church. And he's like, guys, there's this thing I'm concerned about. I, I'm worried about the fact I hold this against you, actually, so, he says. You don't love me like you did at first. That's what the original Greek language literally says. It says, here's what I have against you. You don't love me as at first. They'd worked hard. They'd persevered. Right doctrine but they had lost 
the fervency and depth of passion that they once had for Jesus. It's sobering, actually, isn't it? You see, when, when Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians that we read about in the New Testament, Paul in chapter 1 commends them for their love. Now, 25, 30 years later, Jesus is saying, guys, you've lost your love. Like within a generation, this church had gone from being a community that was all built on and passionate and loving and kind of demonstrating that love for Jesus to one that had lost that love within one generation. It's a common story, actually, throughout church history. Churches can begin with a real passion and zeal for Jesus, a love for him that overflows. But as one generation kind of goes to the next generation, some of that passion and zeal gets lost. And it's just replaced by kind of hard work and organization and institutionalism. So important as a local church ourselves that we hold on to our core values. Our local church began as a group of people who passionately loved Jesus. We don't want that to be lost as one generation transitions to another. You know, I mean, so often we can get busy and just get on with church life and we can forget the reason why we do everything that we do. And Jesus says, You've lost something to the church in Ephesus. You can lose why we did it in the first place. I don't know if you've heard this story. Maybe you have. It's quite a famous tale. There was a married couple, young married couple, and um, early on in married life, the husband cooked his new bride a roast dinner, and he was preparing the joint of beef. And before he put the joint of beef in the oven, he cut the ends off the joint, and he laid them on top of the meat. And his new bride said, why is it that you do that to the beef? I've never seen anyone do that before. And he said, I'm not sure why I do that. My mum did it whenever I saw her cooking. Maybe it's something to do with the juices or something, I don't know, but that's what my mum did. So she thought, well, that's interesting. So next time they're around, I met the parents. She says, interesting thing, your son cooked me a roast dinner the other day and he cut the ends of the joint off and he placed it on top of the meats before he put it in the oven. And I, I don't, I've never seen that before. I'm fascinated. Why is it that you do that? And the mum says, do you know what? I don't know why I do that. It's just something I saw my mum do. Um, I've always done that. It's how I've cooked roast beef. So a few weeks later, they go and see Grandma. I say, Grandma, I've got this question. The other day, we had a roast dinner. It's beautiful. Your grandson cooked it for me. But before he put the joint in the oven, he cut off the ends of the beef, and he laid the ends of the beef on top of the rest of the joint, and he put it in the oven. Why did you do that? We asked Mum, and she said, you did it. Grandma bursts out laughing. He goes, you don't still do that to you when you cook roast dinner? And he said, yeah, why? She said, well, the only reason I used to do that is because I had a really small oven and it's the only way that I could get the beef into it. You see, sometimes we do things, but we don't actually know why we do them. It just gets kind of passed down. We lose the first reason for it. It's how routines and rituals start. Sometimes you have to go back to the beginning. Jesus says, you've lost your first love to this church in Ephesus. He's not looking for religious activity. Jesus is looking for a relationship with his church, rooted in love and passion for him and his name. And there's a warning here for us in verse 5. It says, If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. It's a strange imagery. What, what does that mean, remove the lampstand? Well, in Revelation 1, if we read it, we'll understand that a lampstand is a symbol of the church. So when Jesus says he'll remove the lampstand from his place, what he's saying is, I will remove the church. 
I'll shut down the church. You know, this is shocking. Sometimes when churches close, we assume it's because of cultural pressures or we assume it's because of the spiritual battle that we're in. Sometimes churches close because they've forgotten their first love. And Jesus says, no, it's not what I want. I'll remove the lampstand from its place. It's not even that this church is doing bad things. It's just it lost focus on what was the main thing. You know, right doctrine's good, hard work's good, keeping good teaching's good, but I guess maybe you have known, like I have sometimes, been engaged in the, like, a conversation about theology or right teaching, and someone seems determined to prove their point, but actually it doesn't feel like it's a very loving conversation. The Bible is clear, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Paul wrote this, if I've got the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge but don't have love, I'm nothing. I mean, we can be so theologically accurate and hardworking, but without love. It means nothing, Paul says. Guys, when we lose our first love for Jesus, it's important to state this. It's not that it just disappears. It gets redirected, okay? That love and passion that we had for Jesus will get redirected onto something else, whether that's sport or hobbies or entertainment or busyness or activity or money or whatever it is it's not that we lose that love it just disappears no it just gets redirected and then we find ourselves more passionate about other things than we are about Jesus so what do we do if we've lost our first love and passion how should we respond well last week I said that actually the first step is to remember we are first loved to reflect and meditate on the awesome never-ending relentless love of God absolutely But actually, in these verses in Revelation, Jesus gives us a roadmap. He gives us like a three-point plan, perfect for preachers, to help us understand, actually, what does it mean for us to remember our first love? You'll see, actually, he says there's a few things we need to do in verse 5. This is actually an action that we take. There's an American pastor called Craig Grishel. He said this, that returning to our first love is not about how we feel. It's a decision not a sensation. It's about making a decision. And Jesus says there's three things that we can do. And the first thing he says is remember. He says, consider how far you have fallen, verse 5. Or another translation says, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Remember. So important to remember to remember when you first said yes to Jesus, to remember when you first knew his grace and love, to remember the passion that you had at first, to remember, be active about this. Think back to those moments when you really knew his presence or you had incredible answers to prayer or when you first knew that you were forgiven. Remember. For me, I can remember as a seven-year-old in a huge tent in Eastbourne at a thing called Mission Eastbourne responding to a preacher preaching about Jesus and I walked to the front. It's good for me to remember that moment that I said yes as a seven-year-old. I can remember as a 13-year-old getting baptised at the Evangelical Free Church in Linfield. It was 1988. In fact, I found the certificate of baptism this week um, that I received on that occasion when actually I kind of made the decision, no, I'm going to get baptised. I'm going to follow Jesus. 
I can remember in that moment, it, was, it wasn't just a religious ritual. I was making a clear decision as a 13-year-old. I can remember as a 17-year-old when I had a, a big encounter with God, actually, and, and a decision was made in my life that's actually impacted the rest of my life. I can remember when I was 21, when I was filled with the Holy Spirit in a way that I'd never known before, and it changed everything. You know, it's good to remember. I wonder, what are your kind of moments Think back upon your life with God. For some of you, that may be a few weeks. For some of you, that may be many decades. Remember. Remember what God has done. Remember the passion and love that first gripped your heart. Remember. You know, sometimes spiritual apathy can come from the simple act of just forgetting. So important that we remember who he is and what he's done in our life. I'm... Ask you today, ask the Holy Spirit to help you to remember. Second thing that Jesus says here is repent. Make an about change. To repent is, is an act, it's a decision to do something. Sometimes people think repent is a, is a negative word or a bad word. It's not, it's an amazing word. We're, we're called by God back to himself, back to him. Repent, change direction. Don't keep going down that same path. You know, if you lose something important, you normally do something about it. A few years ago, um, we were about to go to uh, France on holiday, and we booked a very early morning crossing. And um, I, I was packing the car the night before, getting it all ready, and I packed the car, and um, I was doing the last-minute checks. Passport, check. Great. Currency, check. Driving license. Oh, can't find my driving license. Right, my driving license is, is in my wallet. Okay, where's my wallet? Start searching the house. Can't find my wallet. So I emptied the car again that I've just packed for holiday. I emptied the car looking for the wallet. I can't find my wallet anywhere. It's got my credit cards, driving license, everything's in it. I then get the whole family out of bed. We're searching the house for my wallet. We need the wallet. We're leaving at 5 a.m. in the morning. And then I suddenly have this um, kind of dawning realization. I had an appointment at the bank this afternoon. I haven't left my... Uh, I had. I'd left my wallet at the bank in the afternoon. The bank was shut. We were leaving at like 4.35 the next morning. What would I do? I tried everything. I, I tried calling the bank. I tried calling the head office. I did a shout out on social media. Does anyone know anyone who works at the bank? I actually even did a little bit of Facebook stalking, trying to find if I could see anyone that might be linked to someone who worked at the bank. I was even debating breaking and entering to get my wallet back because I'd lost something importance. You know, when, when we lose something important, we don't sit passive and do nothing. We act because it's important to us. Jesus says, if you've lost your first love, act, repent. You know, sometimes we think we might kind of resign ourselves and accept that this is now just our current reality. Jesus says, no, make an about turn. Do you feel like you've lost some of your first love, or what steps could you take this week? An author called William Barclay said this, no man has truly repented when he does the same things again. Finally, the final thing Jesus says is this, do. Repent and do all the things you did at first. I wonder what you did when you first followed Jesus. 
Uh, maybe um, you couldn't get enough of the Bible. You were just reading it day in, day out and finding God was meeting you in it. Or, or maybe you fully engaged in the life group and you were encouraging others or being encouraged. Or, or maybe you couldn't stop telling other people about Jesus. Or, or maybe you served in the church and you loved being part of a team. Or maybe you just worshipped. You had worship music on all the time. It will be different for different people. But what did you do at first when you first fell in love with Jesus? I mentioned last week that I found this year quite hard, spiritually quite hard. A couple of weeks ago, we ran a 24-7 prayer week here at King's, and um, I booked in for a midnight slot to pray. And um, to be honest with you, I just wanted to go to bed. That's honestly how I felt when the time came. But I said, no, come on, I'm going to do this. And I opened up my laptop, and I just chose to listen to some worship music from a church in the States called Elevation, because worship is something which always helps me to just focus again back on Jesus and to connect with him. And I've got to tell you, I met with God in that hour. I kind of did what I did at first. I made a decision to do something that I knew would help fuel my love for Jesus, and it impacted my week. I wonder what it might mean for you to do what you did at first. Guys, Jesus doesn't want us just to be hardworking, persevering, and theologically accurate. He, He wants a relationship with us that is overflowing from a place of love for him, He cares about the focus and the affection of our love. And he may well commend us for persevering when life is tough. That's great. And he may well commend us for holding on to what is true. That's fantastic. But he's not willing just to settle for that. He he loves us too much to settle for duty alone. Don't forget your first love. He finishes the letter by saying, whoever has ears... Let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I wonder what the Holy Spirit is saying to you today. Band, I wonder if you could come and join me. That would be fantastic. Can you hear Jesus speaking to you today? He who has ears, let him hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. I wonder what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. I think there's a call of Jesus this morning for you. I'm longing for you to return to your first love. I'm longing for it. Remember. Repent. Do what you did at first. Thanks for listening to this message from the King's Church Mid-Sussex. To connect with us online, visit tkc.org.uk We hope you'll join us again soon.